How to be a blessed man. Find Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We've looked at this psalm before in the past, but we're going to do so this morning in a little different way, outlining things in a way this morning I hope will be helpful to you. And uh, I want to encourage you right now, if you'd go ahead and write down three words, three action words, and those words uh, would be guard, uh, mortify, and saturate. And we're going to talk about those words later on in the context of the message. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Psalm 1, and beginning in verse 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does... He prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our understanding to your word today. Teach us from your word. Teach us how to be men who are blessed. Men who are prosperous. Not in the prosperity that the world thinks of that word, but prosperity in your eyes. God, I pray that you would bring about change and conviction and encouragement where those are needed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Twenty years ago, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services launched a new nationwide public service campaign challenging fathers to remain emotionally and financially involved in the lives of their children. The campaign slogan was, they're your kids, so be their dad. The campaign showed that 17 million children in America do not live with their fathers. Girls without a father in their life are two and a half more times as likely to get pregnant out of wedlock and 53% more likely to commit suicide. Boys without a father in their life are 63% more likely to run away and 37% more likely to use and abuse drugs. Both boys and girls without father involvement are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, and nearly four times as likely 
to be in need of emotional uh, guidance of some sort, counseling, and experience behavior problems. Folks, those numbers are staggering. And it shows us something that we ought to know anyway from the scripture. And that is that dads are important. Fathers are important to the home. And fathers are important in the lives of their children. Dads, I want to ask you this morning. What type of man do you desire to be? And men, what are you going to allow to set the course to set the direction of your life. Psalm 1 addresses how to be a blessed man. And it points out for us the two roads that are in front of every man. You know, the Bible quite often points out two different ways. Jesus spoke about two roads. One road was... uh, narrow and and very few people travel on that road but that road leads to life and the other road was broad and there's a lot of people on that road and that road leads to destruction he talked about two different kinds of builders two different kinds of foundations two different gates And so over and over again we see that in the scripture that not everybody lives life the same. Not everybody is on the same pathway and not everybody ends up the same way after death. And that's what this psalm teaches as well. There's very clearly two different ways. Decisions determine destinies. The road a person chooses marks out the course of his or her life, not only for the present, but also for all of eternity. Psalm 1 differentiates between two roads that a man can take. One leads to blessing, the other to cursing. One to usefulness, the other to waste. One to salvation, the other to destruction. Now, as you probably know, the Psalms are characterized in different ways. They fall into different categories. There are some Psalms, for example, that are lament Psalms. A lament psalm is a psalm that is crying out to God because of either some sin in your life or because of some injustice. And so you're crying out for God to intervene. There are other psalms that fall into the category of praise psalms and thanksgiving psalms. Some are wisdom psalms, some are Torah psalms, T-O-R-A-H, showing the law of God. Psalm 1 is characterized by being both a wisdom psalm, showing a person how to walk wisely in the eyes of God, and also a Torah psalm. Showing that it is through God's word that you are able to walk wisely. Some of the themes that show up in the first psalm play out also in the rest of the psalms. 
Dads, Psalm 1 cautions us to be very careful about the choices that we make and the company that we keep because both are going to have a profound impact upon our lives. And so we need to make certain that we're choosing the right way. There's three relationships that we need to be mindful of. And again, I I characterize it by those three words. Guard and mortify and saturate. And let's look at each of these. First of all, he cautions us to guard our associations. Look at what he says in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now there's some clarification in this psalm right off that I think we need to make. I need to point out what he is not talking about in verse 1. He's not saying that we need to refuse to have anything to do with lost people out there. You know, the religious leaders didn't like it who Jesus hung out with. In fact, the most popular and well-known parable probably, the parable of the prodigal son, when you go all the way back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, you see the reason why Jesus told that parable. He told that parable against those who were criticizing him because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. He was hanging out with publicans and sinners and even prostitutes. And the religious establishment didn't like it. One of the problems I think we have in the church today is probably that we don't have enough friends who are lost. We hang out with one another, which is good, which is good in one sense. But we don't know any lost people. We're not making any friends with lost people so we can lead them to Christ. You know, there used to be a day when lost people would just come to church. My mother-in-law used to tell me about when, when she and, and Connie's dad were in ministry, how back in the old days you could put a sign out on the front lawn of the church and you could advertise a revival or some series of meetings. And she said everybody in the community, even lost people, would come and get saved. And she said, then the Methodist church and the Presbyterian church, they would put up signs in in their front yard and we would all go down there. They would come to our church and take part in what we were doing. We'd all go down to their church. And she said, one of the things that we noticed was how even the unchurched in the community and the lost would come to those meetings. Well, folks, that doesn't happen anymore. What that means is if we're going to reach the lost for Christ, we're going to have to be the ones to build bridges to them and be friends with them. So that's not what this psalm is criticizing somebody of. This psalm is not addressing that at all. It is not saying refuse to have any friendships with lost people. 
What this psalm is talking about is it's cautioning us to be very careful about our close associations in life. Those people that influence who we are and what we do. We better be very careful. And let's look at what he says about that. First of all, he does not gain his counsel from the ungodly. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, we don't hear a lot about this today, but there is a strong biblical position of separation. The Bible says we are to come out from among them and be separate. That was first said in the Old Testament and it was said in the context of Israel when Israel was about to go in and occupy the promised land. And they were to drive out the Canaanites but there would still be some living in the land and there would be some uh, Canaanite neighbors around them as well. And the Lord said to them, be careful that you come out from among them and be separate. And don't give your sons to, to their daughters and your daughters to their sons. Because if you end up doing that, you're not going to be my chosen people that I have selected you to be out of all the nations on the earth. And so God said to Israel, come out from among them and be ye separate. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the New Testament tells us in the church to do the same. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he quotes Isaiah 52, 11 with the words, Come out from among them and be ye separate. Christians are to be different. We're to choose our company carefully. As 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company can corrupt good behavior. That's where this psalm begins. Listen to the text again. He says, oh how blessed. You see in the Hebrew, it is an interjection. It expresses exclamation. The thought is, oh how blessed. It's an exclamation of inner joy. It is describing an inner peace with God and a joy that money cannot buy. It's not based on emotions, it's not based on feelings, it's not based on circumstances. In fact, you can be in the middle of a storm, you can be in the middle of a trial or a tribulation and experience the type of blessedness that he's talking about here. And also in the Hebrew, it's in the plural. All the blessednesses. And two things could be being communicated there. The blessednesses, there's a multitude, a multitude of blessings for the one who will follow this instruction. It'll be like the windows of heaven are opened up the, and the blessings will be so many. A multitude of blessings. Sometimes in the Hebrew with the plural though, the plural would be used simply to, to point out emphasis. 
It was a way to add punch to whatever you were saying. It was like adding an exclamation mark. So it may be a multitude of blessings. It may be the intensity of the blessings. Either way, the result is the same. He's describing somebody here who will be blessed beyond measure. He says, oh, how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Dads, again, who's influencing your life? It matters. It's something for for adults to to think about too, not just young people. I I do remember though reading a a story a couple of years ago about a group of young people. In a school system there were some some psychologists that wanted to, to, to do a survey about peer pressure. And so they they divided the classrooms up into groups of ten and across a number of classrooms. And and they met with nine out out of the ten in each separate group. They met with nine and they said, now we're going to put a problem up on the board. And the answer is going to be plain to see. It's going to be a no-brainer. But when we ask the question and have everybody point to the to the right answer or the wrong answer, we're going to point, first of all, to the wrong answer and ask you if that answer is correct. If it's correct, raise your hand. And they told the nine in each group, they said, we want you to raise your hand. And so they put it to the test. And they found out almost in every single classroom and in every single grouping, When they would ask the question and the teacher would point to the wrong answer and the nine would raise their hands, the one would all of a sudden look around and he or she would know the answer was not right, but they would put their hand up anyway. Peer pressure. It happens in adults too. But again, he's saying, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You don't bend to the peer pressure in the world. Now, who's the wicked that he's describing here? You see, you and I can have the attitude in mind that the wicked he's describing here are murderers. You know, somebody like a serial killer or an adulterer, somebody like that. But folks, in the Hebrew here, the wicked is simply the person who does not know God. That's who he's talking about here. The person who doesn't know God and the person who doesn't have room for God in his life. Dads, we better be careful who we allow to influence our lives. Even well-meaning friends and family members and work associates, even people at church sometimes can give us counsel that is not in keeping with the Word of God. Folks, be very careful when you give somebody counsel. You're going to be held accountable for that. Is it in keeping with God's Word? 
Now, if you don't know, just be honest enough to say, hey, I don't know. I don't know what God would have you to do in that situation. Let's sit down and search it out together in Scripture. Let's see what God says about it. Or let's call on one of our pastors to help us. And I certainly hope you'll do something like that. But just be careful that when you're giving counsel or receiving counsel, it's it's in accord with God's Word. And can I make another suggestion? Take a fast from social media. Do it for a day and then two days and a week. Take a fast from social media. And set aside a day that you don't post anything. And by the way, when you do post something, do you ever stop and think before you post that, God, is this what you would have me to do? Think about it carefully before you you post something. I'm very concerned about what people, even people in churches, post on social media. It's grievous at times what people post. Folks, we're becoming like the world in that and it needs to stop. Who are the people that you listen to? Do they encourage you in your walk with the Lord? Do they strengthen you in your relationship with Christ? Or do they pull you away? Dads, we need to be very careful here. If you want the blessed life, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Paul said in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world. But then notice also what he says about this. He does not loiter with the sinful man. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. Now it's true we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. If you're in Christ you're a sinner saved by grace. But what he's talking about here is that people who are still outside of Christ. They've never been converted. They're still lost. And by saying that we're not to stand in the path of sinners, he's cautioning us not to take up the roads that they take. Now there's a very natural digression that he's pointing out here. You see, you start by taking counsel from them. And if you take counsel from them, it won't be very long before you're going down the road that they're going down. So it's a very natural digression, but it's going in the wrong direction. And again, dads, he's saying, if you want the blessed life, if you want to be blessed in the eyes of God, you won't go this direction. Thirdly, he writes about this, he does not ridicule along with the scornful man. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. The scoffers are the ones who have no shame whatsoever in their rejection of God. They're unbelievers and they're proud of it. Is it just me or have y'all noticed how much more scornful people are getting in the world today of Christians? Have you noticed that? Go on your news feed sometime. Just read some of these articles that will pop up periodically. And they're followed by comments, articles about a Christian group who's gone out into the world and they've done something very positive. 
Maybe it's a youth group. And they've gone and done something very good. And the first points that you're reading, the comments, some of them will be very encouraging, very uplifting. But just keep reading. You know what I've noticed? Almost invariably, there will be people who get on that comment section and those comments just become vile. They're scoffing at Christians. They're ridiculing Christians. And it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. Now these statements that he's, that he's making here in verse 1, they all say essentially the same thing, but just kind of in a snowball effect. But again, look at the digression. It's a picture of a man going from bad to worse. He was first of all walking in the counsel of the wrong company. Then he was choosing their paths because he was following their counsel. And now he's sitting down with them and he's scoffing along with them. And they're mocking God and they're mocking believers. And it all just started so innocent by just taking in the wrong counsel. And so he's saying the man who wants to be prosperous in the eyes of God or blessed in the eyes of God will make sure that he's not going down this path. Dads, we need to choose our friends and our mentors very, very carefully. How many times did we tell our kids this when they were growing up? Well, dads, we need to follow that same advice ourselves. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. Speaking of men who can get together and encourage one another in the the ways of the Lord. So rather than men going to the wrong sources to find it, we need to, we need to go to other believers who are growing in their relationship to the Lord and let iron sharpen iron. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that we are to mortify sin in our lives. You say, that, that's, that's a word I'm not acquainted with, mortify. What's it mean? It means simply put to death. Your translation in different places in the scripture might even use that word mortify. Now dealing with sin in your life is implied also in Psalm 1. It's more implied than it is stated. It's more implicit than explicit. I want to be clear on that. But I do think it rides piggyback with what he just said about guarding your associations. Because men, if you're guarding your associations in life to make sure you're not hanging out with the wrong crowd, then by implication, I think we can also say that we need to take a look at sin in our own lives. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at what Paul says here beginning in verse 5. He says, Put to death or mortify therefore what is earthly in you. And then he starts naming some things. He says sexual immorality. 
impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Men, what sin do you need to address in your mind or in your heart or in your life? What about your thought life? What about your words? What about your actions? What sin do you need to deal with? What sin in your life do you need to mortify that you need to put to death? Now you know maybe your sins in your life are more sanctified, more acceptable. It's not so much that you're going out and doing all the bad stuff that Colossians 3 is talking about there. But you're not doing the right stuff. You're not doing what God would have you to do. You're guilty of sins of omission. You think you're okay because you're not doing the bad stuff. But you're not doing the good stuff either. We've got a number of men's groups in our church who are going through a book right now by Dr. Kent Hughes. It's called Disciplines in a Godly Man's Life. And I've had guys talk to me about a couple of chapters in particular. The the chapter on loving God with all your mind and the chapter on worship. Jesus was asked on one occasion about the two greatest commandments. And he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And the second like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he talked in that chapter about how men in the church need to love God with our minds. We're not, we're not reading anymore. We're not reading things that Christian men in the, in the past read. We're just not reading. We're not loving God with our mind. Folks, that's sin. That's the sin of omission. If you're not loving God with all your mind, that's the sin of omission. You're guilty of sin. And you need to mortify that sin. How about worship? That that chapter on worship that he talked about. How men, even on Saturdays, you need to be getting everything ready for, for Sunday morning. You need to be preparing your mind and heart and praying about church services the next morning. If you're using a Sunday school curriculum, reading that lesson. If, if the pastor's in a series, reading the next passage and praying and getting up early and coming into the worship center and preparing yourself to worship in spirit and in truth. Being men of worship. Again, if that's not a priority in your life, that's the sin of omission. That's sin. And we need to mortify sin. We need to put it to death. Dads, begin praying this week saying, God, reveal to me those sins of commission, the transgressions, but also the sins of omission. The things that I'm not doing that you would have me to do. So that I can be the man of God that you've called me to be. Be honest before God with that. After all, God knows about it anyway. Ask for God's strength. 
to help you mortify sin in your life. Again, guard your associations and mortify sin in your own life. But thirdly, what I want you to see that he's talking about here is saturate your life with the Word of God. Look at what he goes on to say here in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. John R.W. Stott is one of my favorite writers. He's a godly man, commentator in scripture. He has this unique balance of dealing with technical issues but being very practical too. Now, he's gone on to be with the Lord. But John R.W. Stott writes that delighting in the Word of God is one of the telltale signs that somebody is truly born again. That you're really a Christian. He talks about how the lost man doesn't delight in the Word of God. He, He really doesn't have much use for it when you look at his life on a daily basis. But he says the man who's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit loves to know the will of God through the Word of God. I think one of the great sins of our day today is the neglect of God's Holy Word. Dads, can you say that you honestly delight in the Word of God? Develop that in your life. You may have to do a little force feeding at first. Just make yourself sit down and and start reading the Bible on a regular basis. But you know what you're going to find? The more you do it, all of a sudden something's going to happen and and it's going to become a love in your life. You're going to absolutely love it. I'd love to see a group of men in our church start meeting together. You, you remember that old show used to come on TV years and years ago, The A-Team? You remember that? It, they were all, their background, they were special ops guys. And they would get together and, and they would do these hard things where a rescue or something like that that nobody else could do. How about a group of men in the church who were the A-Team when it comes to studying scripture. They meet together and study the word of God together. A men's A-team. Going through a book like Howard Hendricks, How to Study the Bible. Going through a book like that and letting somebody teach you how to do it better. You might say, Pastor, what's the big deal with with Bible study? I'll tell you the big deal with it. It's because you encounter God in his word. It's how God speaks to us today. Folks, if we don't don't get to know God in the Scripture the way He reveals Himself here, you know what you're going to do? You're going to start having all these ideas about God that are based on what you think. You know, I feel this way about God. Oh, surely God's this way or that. 
And you know what? We're going to get so far off track, we need to get to know God through His Word. Because it's in His Word that we find out what He's really like. And how are we going to worship Him in spirit and in truth if we don't even know what He's like? If we don't know what He's like, we're going to come up with our own versions. We're going to be no different than the children of Israel in the wilderness when they set up that golden calf. You have to know God as He has revealed Himself. And if you, know, if you want to know how He's revealed Himself, you've got to open up your Bible and start reading. And can I say once again, as I've said in the recent past, we set ourselves up for a lot of failure the way we read the Bible. We'll read a few little verses here and then tomorrow we'll skip over here and we'll go here and we'll go. You're not going to get to know the Bible that way. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible a book at a time. There's 66 books that make up the canon of Scripture. If you wrote a love letter to your, to your wife, men, you wouldn't want her just picking out a few little lines right in the middle. You'd want her reading the whole letter. We need to study the Bible a book at a time so we can really start seeing what it teaches. And don't start in something like Ezekiel or Revelation if you're not accustomed to doing that. Starting something easy. Philippians. Or something in the Old Testament like Jonah. Get used to doing that. Before you dive into one of these tougher books. And men. Dads let me say to you. Go out and get a good study Bible if you don't have one. There's so many on the market today. I, I hesitate to just mention one. But there's the NIV study Bible. There's the ESV study Bible. There's the MacArthur study Bible. There's the Reformation study Bible. I mean there's so many good ones out there today. That have introductions to books. They tell you what that book's about. And then notes at the bottom of the, of the page that... that Give explanation to those verses you've just read. Get one of those study Bibles and start pouring your heart into it. He says here, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Think of that word meditate. Don't just quickly read over something and move on. The Hebrew word for meditate, there, there's, there's really two thoughts behind that word. One was negative, one positive. The negative thought behind that word meditate, I think, sheds light on the positive aspect of it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Has anybody ever said something to you that didn't strike you as being right? You thought, why in the world would they say something like that? Man, you just mulled over it all day long. What in the world did he mean by that? That's meditation. You were meditating on what that person said to you. You were thinking about it and thinking about it. You probably went to bed thinking about it. That's meditation. 
Do the same in a positive way with, with, with the Word of God. And he says here, on his law, he meditates day and night. It's, it's a continual thing in your life. You're, you're reading and praying over the Word and meditating on it and dwelling on it. Men, get a, get a pad out beside your Bible and take notes. It is amazing things that God will start bringing to your mind. Love and cherish God's Word. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 about God's Word? In 2 Timothy 3, Paul opened that chapter by saying, Timothy, when you look at men out in the world, you will notice that they are going from bad to worse. These are perilous times that we live in. That's what he tells. Imagine that. He told Timothy that 2,000 years ago. These are dangerous times that we're living in. And he said, men are waxing worse and worse and worse. They're getting more evil and more evil and more evil. He said, but you, Timothy, by way of contrast, you continue in the Word. Because the Word does two things. It draws you to Christ. It points out your sin And points out the Savior, Jesus Christ. But then also beyond that, after you're saved, the Bible equips the Christian man so that he will be equipped for anything God calls him to do. The Bible does both of those things. You get a lost man reading the Bible. Get him reading something like the Gospel of John. And if he will read it in the right spirit and pray that God would show him what God wants to show him through that. You know what? I think it's not going to be long before that man is saved. Because God's going to use the word that way in his life. But then a Christian man, after he's saved, if he keeps studying the Bible, you know what God's doing? God's building you. God's maturing you. God's equipping you. So that you'll be equipped to do what he's, he's called you to do. Guarding associations, mortifying sin in your life, saturating yourself with the word of God. And notice what he says the results of all of this are. Look at the results. Look at verse 3 with me. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. A tree planted In a desert climate, like the psalmist would have lived in, they would have irrigation ditches where they would channel water out into their fields and they would plant trees alongside of that. That tree, because it was planted by streams of water, what did it have? It had this constant nourishment that was going on. Because otherwise it would dry up and die. Notice what he goes on to say here. It'll yield its fruit in its season. Think about that. Fruit-bearing trees, do they bear all the time? No, they bear in season. A a Christian who's abiding in the Word of God, what's going to happen? God's going to do something in your life so that when you need to bear fruit, you will bear fruit. You'll be ready. In season, at just the right time, you get in a situation... Where you need to show 
love or peace or self-control, guess what? You're going to be able to do that. He goes on to say here, in all that he does, he prospers. Do not hear some type of Americanized version of that word prosper. He's not talking about material things. He's not talking about money. He's talking about prospering in the ways of God. So you guard your associations. You mortify sin in your life. You saturate yourself in the Word of God. And guess what? You're going to see this transformation in your life that is going to bring glory to God. Dads, you see what Psalm 1 is saying? Not everybody is on the same path. Because if you'll notice in verse 4, what does he immediately start doing? He says, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. The chaff would be that little shell covering the grain. They would beat the grain on the threshing floor and take the wintering forks and they'd throw that grain up in the air and that chaff, that little shell that had been broken off the head of the grain, it was so light it would be carried away. In the wind. He's saying that's how the wicked are. There's no root in their life. There's no foundation in their life. There's no fruit. They're like the chaff. Chaff was useless. It didn't have any purpose other than blowing away in the wind. That's why they would beat it off the heads of the grain. And he's saying that's how the wicked are. You see, dads, we're not the same. Psalm 1's pointing it out here. We're not the same in life. And if you'll notice how the psalm closes, we're not the same in death either. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but He says the way of the wicked will perish. Two different roads. And the road you're on will determine what your life is like, but it will also determine what your eternity is like. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that men all over this sanctuary today would begin to evaluate more carefully the company that they keep. Those friends they have that are helping to influence the type of men that they are becoming. Lord, I pray that we would seek out friendships that would help us grow in the Lord. Lord, likewise, help us to be very honest with sin in our own lives that we need to put to death. And Lord, I pray that we would cherish your word, that we would delight in it. Lord, that we wouldn't simply tolerate it or just read it in passing, but that we would delight in it and meditate on it day and night. Lord, help us to see if we don't put the right things into life, we're not going to get the right things out. There's so many people in the world today, they're thinking that 
that life's going to turn out okay and it's not going to turn out okay. Their eternity is not going to turn out okay. Things don't just happen. They've got to live with purpose to live for you. So help us to be dads who will do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe I'm speaking to a dad this morning that you know. You know you never, you've never been converted. The signs of spiritual life are just simply not there. You go through motions, but the signs of life from the heart are just not there. Come to Christ today. Let me pray with you. Christian men, examine sin in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Put that to death. Saturate your heart and mind on God's Word. And just see what the Lord does. It won't happen overnight. But it is going to happen. And it's going to be amazing what you'll see.